We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, so turn quickly with me. Some of them you're probably not going to have time to turn to, but we're going to get to a lot. We're not going to be that long tonight, honestly, especially compared to the last couple weeks, but um, we're going to talk about the third false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, and that is that the church tradition is equal to scriptural authority, and um, obviously that's not true. Now, to just review quickly with what we talked about the last couple weeks, and and we we spent a lot of time talking about the Catholic Church itself, um, and then of course, obviously, that, um, you know, the Protestant Reformation, all those different things that we covered, and then we got into, started getting into some of the false doctrines. And we said that the first false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is that the Roman Catholic Church is the only true church. Now, we looked at a lot of different verses from that perspective as well to show that the, that the Roman Catholic Church is not and cannot be the only true church. And in fact, that it's not even a true church at all. Uh, but then the second thing, and what we talked about last week, is the priesthood. And then so today, what we're going to get into, the third thing, is that the church tradition is equal to scriptural authority. And you may recall way back, I mean, a long time ago now, I don't even know how long ago it was that we started this whole series on um, wolves in sheep's clothing and talking about different, uh, different religions and different cults and things like that. But when we, when we started that, I emphasized to you that one of the key doctrines that Christian-based cults and false religions have in common is some kind of extra-biblical revelation. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you can go as far as to say that the Catholic Church fits into the definition of a cult, but it certainly has a lot of characteristics of a cult. And uh, maybe it's just because it's so big that we don't look at it as a cult, but, but it sure has a lot of these hallmarks. And one of them is that extra-biblical revelation. In other words, they base their authority for that false religion on something other than the Bible alone. You can forgive somebody maybe for using the Bible and coming up with a different interpretation of a passage or something like that, but when you are stepping outside of the bounds of the Bible and using something else as your authority besides the Bible, then you know it's wrong. Uh, there, might be a, you know, there might be a way to disagree about the interpretation of a certain passage or something like that, and we can come up with different doctrines and whatever else. That's a whole lot easier to forgive than it is to come up with something outside of the Word of God. So, uh, I mean, for example, we said, you know, I I saw an angel and he gave me a a New Testament, right? The Mormon church, and we saw so many other different ones that had different revelations outside of the Word of God. Well, the Roman Catholic Church has at its roots the same error. It's from a little bit different angle, but it's the same error nonetheless. The extra-biblical revelation that they derive their authority for a host of false doctrines, is tradition. And because it's tradition, then we can claim that that is our authority. Well, if it doesn't have its root in the Word of God, then it is extra-biblical. And just because you say it's tradition and we've done this for so long doesn't mean that it was right when it came along the first time, right? So let's talk about a few of those things tonight. First thing that I want to mention is that according to the Roman Catholicism, Church tradition is as authoritative as the Bible. Now, that is a false statement, but according to them, that's true. Uh, That's a foundational error. It's the idea that that allows the Roman Catholic Church to hold the strange doctrines that they have when it comes to the papacy and to uh, the priesthood and Mary as the queen of heaven and the saints as far as sainthood and, uh, you know, making somebody a saint. Uh, the Mass, prayers to and for the dead, all of those without the support of Scripture. How can they say that? Well, it's tradition. 
It's things that they came up with that we've been doing for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And so it's accepted as the same authority as Scripture. Using the Bible as our sole and our final authority, we can very easily see that those teachings are false. They're not found in the Bible. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church claims to have other authorities. And so the official pronouncements of the Pope and the church councils are as binding upon Catholics as the teachings of the apostles. And essentially the reason why, now, now they justify it. They justify it by saying that all of their popes and everybody who is making those traditions and putting them on par with the word of God descended from the apostles, so they have that authority. Now, we're going to look next week in a lot more detail that that's not possible and, and, it, and it's not true. But here's Carl Adam, and I, and I quoted him uh, a few different times. He is a Catholic writer. He's a German Catholic. I believe he's dead now, but he did a lot of work as far as trying to bring the Protestants and Catholics together, or at least pretend that the Protestants and Catholics were very, very similar. He said this, The Bible is a chance collection of missionary writings. It does not give a general view of revealed truths. We find, welling up between Christ and the Scriptures, the living teaching of the church, guarding and explaining the truth, though every gap and rift in the Bible message gleam the clear waters of tradition. That's, that's pretty, uh, uh, or, or I said though, through every gap. Now that's, that's a strong statement against the Bible. And that is, he's one of the, he's one of the prominent Catholic writers. That, that, that same view of authority hasn't changed. It's made clear by the statements that, we've, that we see from the Second Vatican Council. Here's what they said. It is not from sacred scripture alone that the church draws her certainty about everything which has been revealed. Therefore, both sacred tradition and sacred scripture are to be accepted and venerated with the same sense of loyalty and reverence. It is clear, therefore, that sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the teaching authority of the church are so linked and joined together that one cannot stand without the others. Sacred theology rests on the written word of God together with sacred tradition as its primary and perpetual foundation. So this is not something that we're just making up and saying, oh, they're saying that tradition. This is, this is coming from them. That's from the Second Vatican Council. They said that. Tradition and the Bible hold the same weight. Tradition and the Bible have the same authority. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see about that. The Roman Catholic approach, RCC, is, stands for Roman Catholic Church. So rather than writing it out every time, I just put RCC. But the Roman Catholic approach, equating the Bible with tradition, actually elevates the church into a place of sole authority in the lives of Christians. Now, let's take this, let's take this out to its logical conclusion, okay? The Roman Catholic Church says two sources, the Bible and tradition, but the church is the only interpreter of the Bible, and the only ruler of what is and isn't established tradition. So then basically everything that they say is what's true and what's not true. They say this is tradition, this is not. They say this is what the Bible means, this is what the Bible says, this is not what it means, this is not what it says. So religious practice, essentially tradition is what the church says it is, scripture means what the church says it means. So religious practice then is shackled by the chains of what the Roman Catholic Church says the Bible and tradition says which leads to directly to a church concept where the clergy control the people. You cannot do anything without us telling you what you can and cannot do. How is that any different than a cult? Right? I mean, that's what a cult, that's what the basis of a cult is. Just because you have a bunch of leaders of that cult does not mean that it doesn't fit into the same category as that. 
Right? And I'm not trying to argue tonight that the Roman Catholic Church is a cult, but I'm saying it's, it's got all the hallmarks of it. And just because it's popular and just because it's everywhere and just because you have a bunch of leaders, now it does come down to the fact that you have one leader, you have one pope, right? And the priests and the archbishops and everybody else cannot say anything as dogmatic doctrine if it doesn't get the approval of the pope. But they say basically that you can't, you can't claim it as truth unless we tell you it's okay to claim it as truth. You can't claim tradition unless we tell you it's tradition. So essentially, we're telling you everything that you have to believe and, and, and can and cannot believe. So you have to bear in mind also that there's no hint, let alone a statement uh, in the Bible that scriptural interpretation is delegated to any one individual or any one group of individuals for that matter. But here's, here's a third thing that I want to take a couple minutes on, and that is this. Tradition is a very weak staff to lean upon. If you're using tradition as a crutch, it's a very weak crutch. Because, number one, it often disagrees with itself. And we see, I think this is pretty interesting, but in 1546, the Council of Trent issued a decree that prohibited people from interpreting Scripture, quote, contrary to the unanimous consent of the fathers. But even the unanimous consent of the fathers idea is a joke because there is not a unanimous consent amongst all the fathers, which is why as popes change, rules change, as popes change, doctrine changes, as popes change. I mean, look at this pope right now, right? I mean, I'm not even Catholic, but this guy's waffling like a, you know, I don't know what. I mean, he's, he's trying to say that, well, there's a possibility that it's okay for homosexuality, even though for the last 2,000 years it hasn't been. And there's a possibility that in certain situations, abortion is okay, even for the last 200 years it hasn't been. There's a possibility that he's changing all kinds of things, right? Which means, obviously, he doesn't agree with everybody else that came before him. Otherwise, he would say, no, this is what tradition says. This is what the Bible says. So they don't even agree amongst themselves what tradition is and is not. So it's a very weak staff to lean upon in that way. But also, it's, it's often, it wasn't even, tradition wasn't even accepted in its own day. Now, we're going to talk about this later, but the, the Apocrypha is a great example of that fact. The Catholic Bible has the Apocrypha in it, which is a, it's a collection of 15 books that were written between Malachi and Matthew. And there was a period of about 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And in those silent years, the Apocryphal books were written, and so they come between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. But that's where the Catholic idea of infant baptism and sacraments and prayers for the dead, a lot of their other anti-New Testament ideas come from. So they're basing it on that, but, but really the Apocrypha is just a collection of tradition. Is exactly what it is. It goes contrary to the New Testament. Many of it goes even contrary to the Old Testament. Um, but the Palestinian Jews never accepted the Apocrypha, which they were alive during that time, right? The, Jesus and the apostles quoted 260 times from the Old Testament, and they alluded to the Old Testament another 370 times. Not one time did Jesus or the apostles ever allude to the Apocrypha. If it's such a part of the Bible, then why did they never mention it? How many times did Jesus say, "Ye have read, as ye have heard, as it has been said, right? Jesus quoted the Bible all the time. Yet he never quoted the Apocrypha. The apostles never quoted the Apocrypha. So it was, never, it was never accepted in its own day. It's hard to say that it was accepted, much less by everyone. Number three reason why this is a weak staff to lean upon is because it's, it's, a massive and it, it, it's massive and it's impossible to accurately learn. 
how do you know what all the traditions were and are? Enough to follow them. And then once you do know what all of them are, how do you memorize them enough to know and keep them straight so that you make sure that you don't break a tradition, right? Number four is because it's easily invented and manipulated. And we see that often with, with different things like the decree of papal infallibility. That came around in 1870. The Rosary, 1569. The Assumption of Mary, 1950. And on and on and on. It's constantly changing. And it's constantly being updated. It's constantly being added to. And anything that can be declared can, uh, well, anything can be declared and any of those declarations can be disputed later on, uh, can be manipulated to fit with any pope's ideas or preferences or whatever else. So to say that tradition is something that you can stand upon, it's like a, it's like a foundation that's constantly moving, right? How do you build on something that's constantly moving? And that's exactly what tradition is. So it's a very weak staff to lean upon. Now, here's where I want to get into a lot of different verses tonight, and uh, most of them I'm just going to reference very quickly. But, but number four, I want you to see that the Word of God repeatedly emphasized the sufficiency of Scripture. The word sufficient means enough. Scripture is enough, right? There's no need for false uh, canonical books like the Apocrypha. There's no need for papal bulls and decrees. There's no need for church councils and all that stuff, because we see in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 19... And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But he makes it very clear. The scripture is enough. You don't need to go looking for... Uh, you know, wizards. You don't need to go looking for familiar spirits and all of that kind of stuff. Go look at the law and the testimony. Read the Bible is what he's saying. The Bible's enough. Here's another one that is, that is very well known to us, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here it is. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you can read the Bible and be completely furnished for everything that you need, then why do you need to add tradition into it? You don't, because the scripture is enough. Here's a lot of different things, and I'll, I'm going to have you turn to, to a couple of these passages, but, but turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Most of these I'm just going to mention. You can write them down if you want to. I've got, I've got the scripture reference with them. I'll read the, just a brief uh, portion of the scripture because we could, we could honestly spend all night on this. Um, but the fact that the Word of God repeatedly emphasizes the fact that Scripture is enough. Scripture is sufficient for everything that we need. Number two, Jesus proclaimed the infallibility of the Scriptures. I think I have that as number one. I'll try to remember because I had point number one is that sufficient means enough. So my points are a little bit off from the points that I put on here. But John chapter 10 verse 35 says, the Scripture cannot be broken. <clears throat> the scripture cannot be broken. Jesus proclaimed the infallibility of the scripture. Here's another one in Luke chapter 16. The brothers of the rich man in hell had sufficient evidence, right? He said, please send somebody to go tell my five brethren that, I, that, they, that there's a place called hell and I don't want them to go there. And what did, what did he say? Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He didn't say they have Moses and the prophets and tradition, let them hear them, right? Then Moses and the prophets and the Apocrypha, let them hear them. I didn't say that, did he? You got the Bible. The Bible's enough. 
Jesus also rebuked the Sadducees. We see that as, as number three, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29. You do err, he told them, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. That was a rebuke. He said, the Bible's enough. Just know the Bible. I had you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 because number four, Peter called the, uh, Peter called the word of God completely reliable. I think I messed that up. Peter called the word of God is completely reliable. Peter said that the word of God is completely reliable. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. You do well to take heed. You have the word of God, he says. That's enough. Now, we see in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Romans chapter 11, verse 2, Galatians chapter 4, and verse 30, Three times, in fact, in, and Paul said it in other ways in different passages, but, but the exact same way in these three passages, Paul repeatedly ap appealed to Scripture as the basis of his authority. In all three of those references, he said, What saith the Scripture? What saith the Scripture? And he wasn't just saying, I don't know what it says. What does it say? Paul was saying, Hey, you don't need to go figure all these things out. What does the Bible say? That's what you need to look at. That's what you need to focus on. Here's number six. Paul told Timothy that it was the word of God that made him wise. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. You can turn there if you want to. Verse number 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Right? The scriptures are able to make thee wise. The scriptures are enough. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Because number seven will say that the Bereans were commended because they searched the scriptures. The Bereans were commended because they searched the scriptures. He says in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Do you see what they're doing there? They heard the word of God and then they went back to read the word of God to make sure that what they heard lined up with the Bible. If People had done that all the way throughout Christian tradition and history. There would be no Christian traditions, right? Because the first time a pope said, you need to be baptized in order to be saved, they would have said, okay, thanks for that word. Let's go back to the Bible and see where it says that. And they would have searched the scriptures, and they wouldn't have found it, right? Well, you need to be sprinkled for baptism. Let's go find, find where it says that in the scriptures, right? Babies need to be baptized. Where? Let's go find it in the scriptures. The bodies, the, the, the sacraments become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, we have two sacraments. What are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? They have seven. They have seven. We don't find those in the Bible. We're going to talk about those at, at a later time. But if, you, if they were just searching the scriptures, and that's what, they, that's what the Bereans were commended for, because they, they actually searched the scriptures to find out whether the things that they were being taught was truth. But they didn't go to tradition. They didn't go, so what did Peter say about this as the first pope, right? They said, what does the Bible say? And Paul commended him for that. Here's the last thing, and turn over to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation tells us very explicitly not to add to the word of God. So how can you say the word of God and tradition is what we need to base our belief on? Well, because in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That's a serious warning that's been ignored by Catholics for a lot of years. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about Catholic people necessarily, although they would fit into that category, but I'm talking about the, the Catholic hierarchy. Um, and, and they're going to pay the consequences. It's a very serious thing. Think about how many people are being led astray after tradition, after something that's been added to the book. And God says, those who follow after that tradition, those who follow after the things that are being added to that book, if you add any of those things, God's going to add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That's a serious thing. And yet they keep doing it. Well, let me give you another point about this. Number five, tradition is almost exclusively presented in a negative light in the Bible. Turn over to Mark chapter 7. The, the great Jewish problem in Jesus' own day was an example of that. We see that in Mark chapter 7 and verse number 8. See if Jesus is talking about this in a good way. Mark chapter 7, verse number 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father and mother, It is Corbin, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. That's about as plain as it can be that tradition is not on par with the word of God. And he was, he was getting on them hard because he said, you're saying that tradition is what you should follow. I'm saying follow the word of God. And you're saying, well, we don't need to follow the word of God. Tradition says we should do this. He was saying, that's, that's your problem. You're making the word of God of none effect. You're pretending that it doesn't exist because you're following traditions. Skip to traditions and follow the word of God. Here's another example in Colossians chapter 2. Paul warned the Colossians of that very thing. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Again, another very plain scripture. That's tradition. No matter who it comes from, if it comes from men and not from the word of God, you're going to be ruined by it. And that's exactly what's happening in the Catholic Church. Here's number six. Any church teaching that contradicts the Bible is wrong. And I have a whole pile of references there. You can take a minute to write some of those down if you want to. I'm not going to take the time to look at all those tonight. But any church teaching, all of, those, all of those passages make it very plain that any church teaching that goes against the Bible is wrong. The problem with the Roman Catholic tradition is not only that it adds to the Bible's teachings, but it also directly contradicts the teaching of the Bible, right? It'd be one thing if you, were say, you, know, if you had a tradition of, you know, every time you come into the sanctuary, you need to, you know, kneel down and pray, or every time you come into the, to the house of God, you need to take your shoes off. Or I mean, those are traditions that, okay, I mean, it's weird, but it's not, it doesn't go against the word of God. But you look at the Catholic church traditions, they go directly contrary to what the Bible says about what salvation is, about how we get to heaven, about how we're to live our lives as Christians, about going directly to God rather than going through a priest, and, and all of those things. They're not found in the word of God. They're directly contrary to the Bible. A lot of Catholic dogmas are in direct opposition to apostolic truth, right? The, as we read in Mark chapter 7, and we're not going to take the time to go back through that again, but Jesus publicly condemned the Pharisees 
because their traditions contradicted Scripture and led men away from the truth of the Word of God. Christ still condemns those who, by their traditions, are leading people away from the truths of the Word of God. That's exactly what the Catholic Church is doing. He condemns the Roman Catholic Church and any other group that exalts its own tradition over the truth of the Word of God. Now, the Roman Catholic Church's response to these teachings has long been directly has long been to directly oppose the, the Word of God. That's because the Roman Catholic Church knows that it presents a totally different understanding of Christianity than what she herself, the Catholic Church, maintains. For a thousand years, for a thousand years, they kept the Bible in Latin and, and made it a point to make sure that people outside of the priesthood could not read the Bible for themselves. Why? It's a great question. Why? Because they didn't want people to find out what the Bible really said, right? And what happened when people started finding out what the Bible really said? The Protestant Reformation, right? People started saying, hey, wait a second. The Bible doesn't say this, right? And I mean, that's proof right there that the Catholic Church knows that what it's teaching is contrary to the Word of God. They placed the Bible on what later became known as the Index of Forbidden Books. The Council of Toulouse in 1229 said this, We prohibit also the permitting of the laity to have the books of the Old and New Testament, unless any should wish from a feeling of devotion to have a psaltery or breviary for divine service, or the hours of the Blessed Mary. But we strictly forbid them to have the above-mentioned books in the vulgar tongue. Now, vulgar in, in that day and age, and, and even today it does, but vulgar tongue means the common language. We strictly forbid people to have it in the common language. That was confirmed at the Council of Trent in 1545. They said this, Inasmuch as it is manifest from experience that if the Holy Bible translated into the vulgar tongue be indiscriminately allowed to everyone, the temerity of men will cause more evil than good to arise from it. It is, on this point, referred to the judgment of the bishops or inquisitors who may, by the advice of the priest or confessor, permit the reading of the Bible translated into the vulgar tongue by Catholic authors, to those persons whose faith and piety they apprehend will be augmented and not injured by it, and this permission they must have in writing. So if you wanted to read the Bible in your own tongue, it had to be given to you by permission from a priest. The Catholic priest had to be the one that translated it. You had to be given written permission to be able to read the Bible in that language. And, and even those were just brief little snippets of the Word of God if you wanted to lead some kind of Bible study or something like that. Why? Because they didn't want people to know the truth of the Word of God. You only have to look at history of, of martyrdom and persecution that underlies the English translations of the Bible, right? William Tyndale, he was martyred by the Catholic Church for trying to give the Bible to people in their own language. What's such a big deal about people getting the Bible in their own language? Because the Catholic Church knows that their traditions are opposed to the Word of God. Up until 1965, 1965, it was a mortal sin that means it condemns you directly to hell to read a Protestant Bible. They don't want you to know the truth of the Word of God because their traditions contradict the truth of the Word of God. The Bible is complete. And we're almost done here, but turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Christian faith was revealed in its finality in the New Testament. Every word was carefully chosen by God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But the Apostle Paul taught that the Scripture is so complete that it is able to make a man of God perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
If Scripture is able to do that, then certainly we have no need for extra-biblical revelations. We have no need for that tradition, such as the proclamations of popes and councils and all those other things that they want to try to add to it. The truth that God desires his people to know today has been revealed once for all in the Bible. The church's job is to defend that truth, not to formulate something new. Somebody said this before, and I think it's so true, that churches have executive and judicial authority, but not legislative authority. Can't go back and rewrite laws, right? The Bible's already been written. It's complete. Jude, the Bible says in, in Jude, chapter, uh, Jude, verse number three, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. It only needed to be delivered once because it's the truth. Earnestly contend for it, okay? You have the truth. It was given to you once. Now contend for that faith, earnestly contend for the faith. The New Testament was finished during the days of the apostles. Well, the apostles were given special inspiration and guidance for writing the scripture. The work of the apostles is, is called foundation work in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. They were appointed by God to lay the foundation for the church, right? Now, that indicates a temporary, passing, one-time work. Once a foundation for a structure is laid, it's not laid again, right? You don't lay a foundation and then lay another foundation on top of it and then lay another foundation on top of it and then build on it, right? You lay one foundation and then you build on that one foundation. And that's what the apostles' work was. The apostles and the prophets did a work that did not need to be repeated. They established the first churches. They wrote the New Testament. And when their foundational work was finished, they passed off the scene. And since the days of the apostles, the church has had no further need of revelation because we have the completed scriptures. We don't need to add anything to it. The churches today don't need apostles because we have the infallible teachings of the apostles preserved for us in the New Testament. That firm foundation was laid a long time ago. The need today is to build solid churches and individual Christian lives upon that well-laid foundation for the glory of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereupon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now, the foundation was already laid. And for, I wouldn't say thousands, but for hundreds and hundreds of years after that, the Catholic Church has tried to continue laying a foundation on top of a foundation that was already laid. The Roman Catholic Church ha has the idea of apostolic succession. That, that, that is that they believe that the popes and the bishops are successors to the apostles. But that's foreign to Scripture. In fact, turn to one last passage in Galatians chapter 1. The apostolic office that was held by men individually appointed by Jesus Christ. These apostles were given that appointment by Jesus Christ himself. Galatians chapter 1. And there's a very key phrase in here in verse number 1. Paul, an apostle. What does he say? Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, every single pope and priest and bishop and archbishop and everybody else has been appointed to that position by man, right? God gave the apostles that position. Each apostle, each apostle had to fit in with quite a few um, qualifications, one of them being that they had to have seen the resurrected Christ, right? None of these guys have seen the resurrected Christ in the Catholic Church today, right, in the eternal city of God, and I think this is pretty interesting, and again, we're not going to take the time, but in Revelation chapter 21, there are 12 foundations, and, and, and in those foundations are written the names of the 12 apostles, only 12, 
if all of these guys are so necessary and so important to the foundation of Christianity, then why is there not hundreds of them? Why are not all their names written in there? Because those 12 apostles laid the foundation for what all of Christianity was built upon. No man living today is a successor to the Lord's apostles. Since the death of the 12 apostles, no man has possessed apostolic unction. And again, we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but the, the apostles had special signs. They, had, they, they were given the ability to do sign miracles to authenticate their office, which is what all of those things were when it comes to healing and speaking in tongues and all of those other things. Those were given as apostolic miracle signs for them to be able to prove that they had the authority of an apostle. And no pope has ever been able to accomplish those signs. But at the inception of the church, the church was given its one supreme written authority, and that was the completed Bible. Rome's rejection of the sole authority of Scripture is a grave and damnable heresy. And it's, it's number three in our list of false doctrines of the Catholic Church. But tradition, I'm sorry to say, is not equal in authority to the Scripture. The Scripture stands alone as that foundation. Everything that we find after that is built on that foundation. Not tradition, not anything else. It is the sole word of God as our foundation. What I want to talk about next week is the Roman Catholic Church belief about Peter. And it's going to kind of morph into what we're going to talk about the next week, which is the Pope. Because they believe that Peter was the first Pope and that everybody else has been in succession to Peter and everything else. What you believe about Peter and what you believe about the authority that Peter has will determine whether you believe that the Pope has the authority that he has and everything else, which is exactly what the Catholic Church says. So we're going to get into that next week. And uh, really, it's going to be one lesson split up into two weeks, but I'm going to kind of take a little bit more on the Peter side and then a little bit more on the Pope side in the, in the next week. So we'll look forward to that. But let's pray, and we'll be done for tonight. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for, as we always do, the truth of the Word of God. I thank you that we have that foundation. I thank you that we don't need anything else and that we... Don't have to wonder what's coming next or wonder if we're doing it right. We can go back to the Bible, search the scriptures, find out what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, and then we can follow it. And God, we thank you so much for making it so clear for us, giving us those boundaries, giving us those bounds. I pray for those that are, that are mired in the Catholic Church to come to the realization that they don't need all of these other things. They need the Bible. They need Jesus Christ alone. And God, I pray that through this study, we'd be able to win some to Jesus Christ and, and pull them out of this Catholic church and the Catholic tradition and help them to know, to know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. Pray that you'd help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.